0: TED Audio Collective. You're listening to TED Talks Daily. I'm Elise Hugh. Today, we go to Uganda, a landlocked East African country which faces prolonged droughts, landslides and flooding that stem from climate change. Climate justice activist Vanessa Nakate is a voice on the global stage for the dangers her country and continent face. In a 2022 interview recorded for TED Women Presents, she sits down with former Irish president Mary Robinson to talk through the challenges and the potential solutions. After the break. Vanessa, thank you so much for inviting us to your home here in Kampala, in Uganda, for this TED Women conversation. I really appreciate that. It's so much nicer to be in somebody's home having a conversation. So let's start with uh, what prompted you, or what What brought you to become uh, a climate activist, to become aware of the climate issue from, from the beginning? You must have been very young, because you're still very young.
1: Uh, my journey started in 2018. That is when I started reading about the challenges that the people in my country, Uganda, were facing. And at that point, I found out that climate change was one of those challenges. And I remember in school, studying about climate change in geography class. It never made me realize that it was actually an emergency or something that was happening at that time. So I was really surprised to find that it is the greatest threat facing the lives of so many people. And what
0: was it in 2018 that kind of prompted you?
1: I remember speaking to one of my uncles, Charles, and asking him if he has seen any changes uh, from when he was much younger and right now. And he explained to me that uh, 20 years ago, uh, in a specific place, he mentioned in Mitiana, that they would expect rains at a specific time. Mm-hmm. But then he said, now 20 years later, they, he cannot, the farmers cannot tell when the rains would come. So he actually said, there's been a change, yeah. but no one is talking about it. Mm. So that really triggered me to start doing something about it. Yeah. I didn't know what exactly <laughs> I, I had to do uh, but after seeing Greta Thunberg from Sweden strike I was really... You
0: saw inspired. those photographs of her in front of the Swedish parliament? Yes, yeah. in
1: 2018. Yeah, I saw the them too. The <laughs> so I was really inspired yeah. by her actions and I decided that I would start striking as well. However, I was quite scared to go to the street. So... Why were you scared? scared? I think as a... I've always been nervous to face people, so many people. Are you a bit shy? A bit, yes. (laughs) Yeah, but um, I tend to manage it, I should say. Uh,
0: You were in Davos with Greta Thunberg and some other well-known climate activists. And there was a photo taken, I think, of five of you. And the other four were white women, white young women. You were all very young. And you were cut out of the photograph. Yes. Uh, you could have just, you know, accepted that, but you didn't. Tell us about a, why, you know, how you felt, and then why you decided to react to the way you did and, and what you did.
1: Yes, uh, when I first saw the photograph, I was, of course, really frustrated, because I remember one of the messages I really emphasised at that press conference was the need to listen to the voices you know, of different activists across and the world. And you were cut out. Exactly. <laughs> so it was quite disappointing to see mm. and also frustrating for me. But also at that point, I just wanted to ask why I yeah. had been removed from the picture. And that's exactly what I did. Mm. I asked why. Yeah. And that really gave me the opportunity to talk about, you know, some of the intersections of climate change, for example, with racial justice.
0: Yeah. And talk about this big, long word. Um, that we use intersectionality. (laughs) Intersectionality.
1: Yeah, uh, so when, when we talk about intersectionality, it's just something that explains that climate change is not just on its own. Climate change is more than weather, it's more than statistics, it's about the people. And when we bring in the conversation of intersectionality, it makes us talk about, you know, things like poverty eradication, it makes us talk about racial justice in our fight for, you know, climate justice. Yes.
0: Um, and, you, you know, you've been the face on Time magazine. You, 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 you have reached very high uh, visibility as a voice for Africa. How has that been? How, how has that journey for you been? How have you felt internally? How have you uh, managed to cope with, you know, being well-known? Presumably you get lots of social media messages, lots of everything, and maybe some of them are negative. How, how do you cope?
1: Yeah, um well I want to first of all say that, you know, I'm not the voice of Africa and no. yeah, um there's so You're many, one of one of one the voices. of the voices. Yes. yes. Yeah. And the the publicity or the fame if I should say that comes with that, it can be both positive and also negative. And negative, it can be, you know, the people who will say that what you're doing is not real or you're exaggerating the climate crisis or people who tell you you're, you know, a young woman, you can get married instead of standing on the street. So it comes with all that. But one thing I've realized that, you know, the 1%... Is the negativity, but the 99 percent, it's the support from different, you know, parts of the world. So yeah. amidst all that, I look at the support from the different people.
0: And do you take steps to make sure that your own self-care is, um, you know, going well? That that you you've got a balance in what you're doing.
1: Yes. Um, what do you, you do? Know, apart from activism, yeah. I I do many other things in yeah. my own personal life. Uh, one, like you've talked about self-care, I really love to rest. And many times for me, rest is actual sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I, I really love to get good sleep. Mm-hmm. And literally everyone here at home knows that. And also I love getting involved in church activities.
0: Uh-huh. Yes. yes. I know you've talked about uh, capitalism as being part of a problem in degrading land and degrading, you know, the extracting and degrading, etc. What kind of structures would you like to see in a broad sense? What, what kind of world would you like to see?
1: Yes, um, I would like to see a kind of world that respects people, but also respects the planet as well. And it's important to note that we are in a system that has created the climate crisis and many other challenges that people are facing and when we demand for system change, we mean that the system actually has to change. Mm. We cannot solve you know, the problems that are happening right now with the very system that created them. So we need something new, something that will ensure that people are protected and the planet is protected as well. When it, when it comes to consumption, I think it's a place of governments helping to make cities more sustainable for yeah. people because it could be transportation for example when you're in a country within Europe you can very easily use the train to get to so many places to even go through and get i mean get to another country mm-hmm which may be difficult in some places or in some countries. So I think it's really a place of making our cities and our countries more sustainable so that people can live more sustainably when it comes to you know, food, when it comes to transportation, when it comes to clothing itself. You know, the issue of population, it is not the problem in our fight for the climate crisis. I agree. Because it's important to know that, you know, while Africa has a huge population. It is responsible for less than 4% of the global emissions. And a family of maybe 10 in Uganda will emit way less than a family of four in a country within Europe. So it's really a place of understanding who has caused this crisis and what needs to be done to make people live more sustainably.
0: And you've turned the focus, which I want to do, on your continent, Africa. Uh, there are so many crises at the moment. Uh, there is you know, a food crisis, a fuel crisis, there was the COVID crisis and a lack of equitable access to vaccines. Yeah. And behind that and there all the time and much earlier has been the climate crisis. So how do you uh, want the conference that we're going to see, the African conference in Egypt in November, COP27, how do you see the priorities? What do you want to see happen? But when it
1: comes to loss and damage, the climate crisis is pushing so many communities beyond adaptation. When you know a family loses uh, a family member, you can't adapt to a loss of life. Hmm. You know you've talked about the food crisis, for example, in the Horn of Africa, yeah. that has left more than 20 million people with no access to food. You can't adapt to starvation. You know, when uh, islands are being washed away and being Mm. submerged by flooding or by the rising sea levels, it's evident that you can not adapt to lost islands Mm. or to sinking coastlines. So this is where loss and damage comes in.
0: Yeah. One of the things about development is, uh, you know, industrialized countries built their economies on fossil fuel. And African countries have wanted to go as green as possible, but they haven't got the investment and support, and some countries want to go more into the gas they found or the coal they've, they've, they've found, in particular gas more recently, and pipelines. Yeah. Uh, you've written about this. You feel very strongly about this as a young African climate activist. Tell us more.
1: Yes, uh, there is a very big challenge that so many African nations are facing right now, there is a pressure to transition to renewable energy. There's a pressure to lift people, you know, out of energy poverty. But then there is no climate finance to do that. So what is happening is that fossil fuel companies are coming with all, you know, these deals for the gas or for for the oil in the different countries. Because they're
0: finding it harder in other regions.
1: Exactly. But then if... The finance, the climate finance that is very much needed by these nations is delayed. They are being pressured to lift their communities out of energy poverty. Mm. So, you know, that, that's what makes the climate crisis more than weather. So now there is an issue of energy poverty. And we know that millions of people across Africa have no access to electricity. So that's why the demands of climate finance are very clear. We need the money to help communities, those that are on the front lines, to help people, to lift people out of energy poverty, but in a more cleaner way, while transitioning to renewable
0: energy. And would you make any exception for, you know, um, the possibility of um, clean cooking, gas as a temporary um, just transition to help as one of the solutions, because there are other solutions to clean cooking, or uh, getting, you know, electricity into homes? Uh, I'm just Wondering, I mean, are you of the view that there's no room at all, or um, uh, because many people feel that developing countries should have some leeway, because for the very reason you gave, um, Africa is such a low emitter um, internationally, and yet has real development needs. Um, uh, and I, I'm not talking about new infrastructure. I'm talking about um, getting to people who need uh, clean cooking or who need. Uh, electricity in their home? Well,
1: I think that when it comes to, you know, clean cooking and Mm. getting electricity to people, still we have to take the renewable way. Unfortunately, gas is unsustainable and it can be very harmful to so many people. I know that when climate finance is made available, a lot of transformation can be made. I ran a project that I started in 2019. And it involves the installation of solar panels and eco friendly cookstoves in schools in Uganda. I don't have you know, specific climate finance that is coming in for that project. But it's yeah. been yeah. different people <laughs> that are supporting, yeah. you know, online through a yeah. GoFund. Mm. And we've done installations yeah. in 31 schools now. Mm. They have access to electricity through solar. Yeah. You know, they have access to clean cooking through eco-friendly cook stoves. So I think the solutions are available. We just need political will and money to be available.
0: Yeah. So you would even say, um, you know, for... Uh, You know, that that you wouldn't even have gas as a temporary just transition solution um, uh, to help uh, women, for example, in particular, to get more choices of access to clean cooking.
1: We can't breathe gas. I believe there are more sustainable ways to help women. So you're very firm. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'd love you to talk more about the Africa that could be there if we move more quickly. Um, What would it mean? Um, How do you see, uh, for example, in wetlands, how do you see it in in terms of what would change in cities? Um, uh, What would change, I mean, yes, there'd be electricity in households, but how else um, could there be significant difference uh, in jobs as well as in um, uh, better livelihoods?
1: Yeah, um, I'll start by sharing something I told a friend of mine Um, while I was in Europe, and we were going to take the train from one country to another. And I told him that if I had lots of money right now, I would take this public transportation to my country, Uganda, as well. So I think those are some of the things that we could see happen if things start moving, to see that public transportation is made more accessible, Mm -hmm. is made more affordable and also more sustainable for people. Because when public transportation is made, you know, sustainable and affordable for people, it moves things very fast because you can easily move from one place to another, but in the most sustainable way possible. So I think that when things start moving, actual money because here what we are talking about is political will Mm. and making climate Mm. finance available this is what will enable african nations build more sustainable Mm. cities
0: yeah you mentioned the project that you're um, working on um, in rural schools um, to have solar panels and um, a better cook stove stove um, uh, system Uh, what other projects that you know of um, uh, or that you've seen or that you've heard of um, particularly uh, excite you?
1: Yes. so this project is really to educate young people Mm -hmm. about trees and also to grow these trees with them. So what I've seen with her project is that she teaches the the students in schools to not only plant but also grow the trees. So nurture them. Exactly, nurture them. So I Mm. think that is very... That is something that I find very exciting. And also here in Uganda, I've seen, you know, different activists doing different tree planting projects, Mm -hmm. especially fruit trees to help the communities that they're where they're taking these trees to not only have, you know, trees for environmental reasons, but also for food because they are fruit trees. And sometimes for health as well. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) those are are some of the things that I have seen here that are very inspiring. Yeah. I remember being there in a conversation at COP26, Mm -hmm. and it was with uh, some Indigenous leaders. Yes. And one of the leaders said that um, usually before they make decisions, they always sit in a community and ask themselves, will this decision be good for the children? Yes. And if they say no, there is a possibility that it could harm the children in this way, then that that immediately would disqualify that decision. So I do agree that there is a place of choosing the decisions, like making decisions that will ensure that children are protected or the planet is protected. And also, just to add something in scripture I've read, that says, you know, I've given you a choice of life and death. Mm -hmm. So you choose between life and death. So when I bring it to the climate crisis, We have a choice, a choice to either walk into a world that is beneficial for all of us or a choice that will take us into the world that may harm some people earlier, but in the end, it will impact everyone. So I do agree that we must make a choice.
0: But I like that wisdom that you shouldn't take decisions that may impact wrongly on future generations. This gets back to your... Um, oil and gas in Africa. Yeah, you know it sounds, you know, short term. Um, yeah. But it's not actually short term because putting in that infrastructure will take some years, exactly. and by that time, and then we know uh, it's actually adding to the problem.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's a kind of um, very, very good point to think about the future impacts of all actions. Exactly. Um, and the impact particularly on, as you say, children and grandchildren.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I believe that all life on earth is sacred and I believe that there is an intersection of interconnection mm. of all life on the planet. And just to really add on that, I in my tribe, I am a by tribe, we have different clans and I'm in the Njovo clan, mm-hmm. which means elephant. So recently I got to learn that, you know, one of the reasons for putting the clans was to preserve wildlife Uh and what happens with the clans it means if i am in the elephant clan i cannot eat an elephant i cannot harm or kill an elephant Mm. so it will be the same for another person who is maybe in a lion club or Mm -hmm. and there are different clans you find Mm. that there are different clans of tree species or Mm -hmm. plant species or animals or marine species and in that way that was the wisdom mm. to preserve uh, the different animals and the different plants and the different trees. So I do believe that, in a way, there is a connection between you know, the different kinds of life on this earth.
0: And um, what I wanted to ask you about is the importance, if you think so, of intergenerational conversation.
1: So I do believe that we need an intergenerational conversation to address the climate crisis because I am not the first climate activist in the whole world and I know that you know the movement is not the first movement in the whole world. I know that there have been people who have been organizing and mobilizing you know for so many years demanding for you know climate justice or a better environment for all of us I know that you've been doing incredible work as well you know for the environment so I believe I have something to learn from you and many other people who started this work way before I did and I also believe there is a place for them to learn from me as well Mm. so I think it's a place of bridging the different wisdoms of the older generation mm. and the younger generation to come up with that one conversation. Because, you know, the fight is not just for the younger generation. The fight is for everyone. Yeah.
0: So, Vanessa, how do you see the increasing climate shocks, basically, and uh, impacts impacting on the rights of people in African countries?
1: Yes, um, I will first of all mention something I remember in school. That was told about rights so being told that people have the right to clean air or people have the right to water or to housing and these are the very things that the climate crisis is destroying when it comes to water sources we know that for so many people so many communities when they experience dry spells they have to you know walk long distances to look for water And, you know, when it comes to housing, we know that many people have lost their homes because of flooding, because of landslides. We've had, you know, recent floods in the Mbale region Mm. here in Uganda, and thousands of people were displaced Mm. and their homes were destroyed. So it's really a place of understanding that the very rights that we were taught in school, you know, they are being affected by the climate crisis. Many times women are on the front lines of the climate crisis and this is because for many communities, women have the responsibilities of providing food, providing water. Many and are farmers, farmers. are Exactly. Mm-hmm. So when you know, crops are drying because of you know, too much heat, it's the women that are on those farms. When the farms are destroyed or washed away, it's the women that are impacted, they're the ones working on those farms. When water sources dry up, it's women that have to walk very long distances. For some communities, it's even worse for, you know, children, especially girls who Mm. have to drop out of school. Some are forced into early marriages, you know, because their families can't take them to school anymore. And when they get them married of they expect a bright price that can help them recover from the climate impacts. So it's really evident that the climate crisis disproportionately affects so many girls and so many women across Uganda, across Africa and across the world.
0: I wonder what kind of message um, you would give, um, you know, just uh, at the end of this conversation, uh, a final message of what action everybody can take. Uh, and now I'm not talking about Africa, I'm actually talking more about the world that needs to move more uh, more quickly um, out of fossil fuel, for example. But what message would you have for those who are listening to this conversation?
1: Yeah, I will first of all say that many times, you know, the climate crisis seems very complex and many people want to do something, but they don't know exactly what they can do. But there's so many things that can be done and we, you know, we won't do, we all want to do everything, but it's finding that thing that will transform something. Mm-hmm. You know, no one is too small to make a difference and no action is too small to transform the world. It's like we are all one body and every part of that body has different actions. So it's a place of finding your part and lot in the body and say, I will do this. That if you are in law, we did an event. Uh, about law together Yes. so if you are 26 so if you are in law you can find your place in Mm. what you're doing that as a lawyer or as a judge you're going to support different activists because we've seen activists take you know different cases Mm. to court in regards to climate issues that if you are a teacher you're going to use your space as a teacher in school to teach the students, to tell them not only about what is happening, but about what they can do. So it's really a place of finding your part, yeah. in the body, and just doing your part. Because in the end, when we put all the different actions of the different members of the body, we actually transform the whole world.
0: Yeah. Well, Vanessa, all I can say is I have really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you have.
1: Yes, I have. Thank you so much. It was a lovely conversation, and I had so much to learn from
0: you. TED Talks Daily is hosted by me, Elise Hugh, and produced by TED. Theme music is from Allison Leighton Brown, and our mixer is Christopher Fazy Bogan. We record the talks at TED events we host or from TEDx events, which are organized independently by volunteers all over the world. And we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or email us at podcasts at ted.com.